my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. I'm off my game today. No, you're not. That's true. People are going to have to start making better content. I think we're going to be talking about this for a long time. When you program for everyone, you program for no one. I think it's that we're a purpose-driven platform. Like, we're trying to get to substance. How okay. was that? Are you happy with that? Yeah. This is marketing therapy right now. It, it really is. <laughs> What's up? I'm Laura Carrenti. And I'm Alexa Kristen. Welcome back to Adlandia. We're getting so close to summer. I know. Which means... You're in sleeveless. I know. It's getting warm in With New a nice York. tan. That I bought. Um, <laughs> but we are getting so <laughs> close um, to Cannes and all the exciting things that happen in the industry to celebrate creativity. And there's so much going on right now. Outside of like the industry kind of like same old events. Right. There's events that are happening... That are getting a lot of buzz. Yeah. And we actually brought someone in today 
to talk to them about it. Yeah, really excited to have a discussion with the founder of Girl Boss, Sophia Amoroso. On the heels of her LA Girl Boss rally last week. Right. And I think, you know, you bring up a great point that so many brands, and I think we've heard it over and over again on this show, um, are asking for or looking for um, the opportunities to create experience and engage communities in the real world. And Sophia has tapped a nerve with a segment that is seemingly very difficult to reach, and that's young, 18 to 24, maybe 34. And has probably women. the largest buying power in the world. Yeah, or soon will. Yeah. And also, I think what she's figured out that somehow many people have missed is that this is a group that's hungry for information, um, that wants hands-on training, that wants to hear from people, or I should say practitioners, who are in the mix of developing businesses, have success stories, and are willing to impart knowledge um, so that they can follow in their footsteps. I think what she's tapping into, to your point, she's tapping into a like a lifeblood a bit, right, of females all over the world, all over the world. This isn't about behavior. This isn't about, you know, you buy your boots from here, you're this from there, you're that from there. This is about desire. This is about women wanting to own something of their own, women wanting to be independent. And that's just, that's like basic life, right? And I think when you hear her story, right, so she is very openly going to talk to us about her first company, Nasty Gal, filing for Chapter 11 and then sort of moving into this media world that sort of fell into her lap in Netflix wanting to create a show on the heels of that, which might not have been the best timing, and the show was a flop, and she's very open about talking about that transition, and then sort of filling the white space, which is, I think is a very interesting way of describing how Girl Boss Media was then founded. I have to tell you, I had a lot Not of, creating it. Right. Yeah. That finding yeah. it and filling it. Yeah. I had a lot of preconceived notions about what she was building and who she was, just having read the story through the press. Yeah. And I got the opportunity to meet her and was very quickly taken aback by the thoughtfulness yeah. and the accountability and the responsibility to understand um, the empire that she had created, the lessons that she learned from it, and her willingness and drive. And I think she talks a lot about this in the interview to sort of keep going. And then I went to the Girl Boss Rally in New York City. And I've been, you know, in this industry, we go to a lot of conferences, a lot of events that media companies put on. And you can almost sort of predict the ebb and flow, the energy based on who's speaking. The programming. programming. You can actually predict the programming. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Great point. And there was an energy before you even sat in your seat. And watching, um, the programming was excellent. And, and I think, you know, her ability to draw from different industries um, and not sort of program for what people um, have come to expect, but programming for things that people need. And want. And want. Yeah. Aside from all that, the people that were just sitting in the audience and you could see, like, people were not on their phone other than to be what I assume either taking notes or tweeting because the level of attention that it was commanding and the conversations that were so real and authentic and from this place of this is a personal experience, yeah. not a list of PR points. Yeah. Um, and then the the conversations that then spilled out into the hallways and over the lunches and sort of these networking spaces that she created. I mean, it was electric. Well, it's so funny that you're saying that about about the rally because I think that there are a couple of brands that are starting to tap into this and they're not selling people. They're not selling consumers them. They're selling consumers themselves 
Does that make sense? It makes absolute and sense. And holy fuck. Holy fuck, that's a big deal from a brand standpoint. And even I think you're enabling them. You're, you're giving enabling them the tools them. to realize the thing that they're after. Yes, absolutely. Glossier's doing it as just female beauty, right? right. And that's how they've like to- totally positioned themselves. And I think what Sophia's hit on is this deafening silence almost, right? It's actually profound about getting to the female desire to be successful. And it's not pandering and it's not selling them a product and it's not selling them something and it's not selling them an ad unit. It's actually selling them the ability to be better. Yeah, I I love that. And the brands that integrate into the rally are not there to give you a swag bag. Right. They're there to... Although they do have great swag they bags. They do have great swag bags. <laughs> but that's not, the, that's not the thing, right? That's yeah. not the focus. Like Bumble Biz did the integration of the New York rally where they hired Glam Squad to come in and do, you know, makeovers to get your headshot done for your LinkedIn profile. This yeah. is a utility. Like if I'm a, yeah. if I'm a budding business entrepreneur... I need a headshot. And by the way, headshots aren't cheap. So now whatever ticket I've paid for this rally has afforded me the headshot that I needed my deck or my PR or my whatever collateral. And like that sort of value exchange, like she's filling the space and she's filling a need and she's coming at it from a place of, I'm listening to you. I have a Rolodex deep of people who can help you. And oh, by the way, I am you. You Sophia Amoroso. We'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So we're back in the studio with a cross-country phone call to the girl boss herself, Sophia Amoroso. Welcome, Welcome. Sophia. Yeah. Sophia, Mm -hmm. you are like girl boss extraordinaire. Literally. Literally. Defining what the future of badass media publishing for women looks like. But obviously that's not how you started. Can you give us some background on one of my favorite lines that you always talk about. This is the second business you founded. Basically, this is the second brand I've created, but the first I've created on purpose. So my first business was called Nasty Gal. I started it when I was 22. It was vintage clothing, and then it exploded because I just like used my wits and didn't spend money and figured it out and figured out what people liked and figured out how to write about it and take photos and style and buy and all the things that create a brand. And a brand isn't media, but the conversation that a brand creates, the feeling of emotional connection, all of those things are the voice really is, was half of Nasty Gal's success, in my opinion. And being able you know, to have a business now where the voice is the product is like the most fun business ever because I don't have to have a warehouse in Kentucky with, you know, <laughs> by, with a 10 year lease and 500,000 square feet, which is probably a bad idea. So you've obviously you've pivoted from um, sort of e-com fashion extraordinaire. And as a result of sort of the, the first, the ending of that brand, and obviously it's been well documented that it kind of ended in a way that I'm sure wasn't the ideal, but you've, you pivoted and you sort of landed in this opportunity or this white space that you clearly at some point recognized um, was an opportunity to reemerge and launch Girlboss Media. What was that white space? Was there an aha moment? Was there a gradual build? How did you make the pivot and why? 
Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, Nasty Gal filed for Chapter 11 at the end of 2016. And at that point, it had been 10 years of my career. It had been, I mean, I used to say my entire youth, but I think youth is not an age. Uh, <laughs> but it was a long time. And so I was, as as awful as it sounds to say, I was ready to move on. And the book Girl Boss had been written three years prior to that happening. It's been four years now since I wrote Girl Boss. And during that time, the community just really started to grow it naturally. The word became part of the zeitgeist. It wasn't always attributed back to me, but that word wasn't used before I wrote that book in 2014. And, you know, started my own podcast, Girl Boss Radio, which we still have today. Uh, And then right after I left Nasty Gal, Netflix was about to blast the name Girl Boss with a scripted (laughs) series based on my book, based on my life totally strange with a character (laughs) named Sophia building a business at 22 years old called Nasty Gal. So here I am trying to restart my career when like 95 million people are seeing this story of who I was 10 years ago streamed into their homes. It was a really strange time, but I also understand the power of striking when the iron's hot and that there are windows of opportunity that open and close. If there's one thing I learned from my agent at WME, it's that. Uh, And I saw that this, this wall, this wave, this massive tsunami of Netflix was coming and holy shit, I better build something to, to catch the wave of awareness that was about to happen for girl boss. And so I got up and by March of 2017, four months later, was hosting our first conference with 500 women called the Girl Boss Rally and just kept going. And the white space was, you know, I like to think the white space was created by our community while I was, you know, solving, trying to solve uh, my last company's problems. And I'm, we're just meeting her there. Like we didn't create it. Yeah. They're, they've created it. The community's created it. And we're just, we're just showing up now. So I think there are a couple of really interesting things. One, you talk about restarting, you use the word restarting your career. Did it, did you actually feel like you were restarting your career? Because in an interesting way, your brand really grew up and Nasty Gal kind of went away. Sunset, yeah. Yeah, it sunsetted and you kind of became the sun. Did you feel at that point that you were actually really restarting your career or was it just a pivot? Or were you emerging? I wasn't sure. I knew I had to be brave and keep going, even though there was still like really, you know, the show got really bad reviews. I was someone who had been like publicly sued and like had, you know, there were reports of toxic culture and all these things that happen when you have no idea what you're doing at 22 years old and start a company Yeah, and wind up 10 years later, like inheriting all the dumb decisions or not just like non-decisions you had made. Um, And I didn't, I didn't like, there's nothing to rebound from. I knew that I felt like I was damaged goods. I wasn't sure if I was like bankable as like talent. And I thought about going the talent route. Like, why would I ever employ people again? I could just go do a bunch of brand deals as an influencer and go be like a talking head or have a non-scripted show or be my own like Maria Menounos or something like that. But the thing is, (laughs) she's Greek. (laughs) She's Greek, but you can't exit being talent. Once you become talent, you're talent for the rest of your career. And that's never mm-hmm. like, I love writing books and I love being behind the scenes and I'm learning how to be up front on a stage and all these things we do twice a year at our conference. 
but that's not the life that I want. And I also understand the value, what, what's created when you build a business that has enterprise value, uh, where it's not about necessarily all the profit that's falling to the bottom line. It's about the value of, of the business that ultimately will hopefully create value for a lot of shareholders, possibly a larger company someday, but most of all value for the audience. And there's no way we would be doing this conference if it were like some kind of white label thing that an agency had put together. Yeah, totally. So you're so you're talking about, you know, profitable for investors and I vividly recall you kind of hitting the pavement um, this past winter as you were kind of on the hunt to, to raise around. Can you talk about what that was like in the restart or the comeback or the emergence and, you know, the pivot that you made to media companies? I think you were one of the first people that like brought to light how difficult it is to me to raise money as a media company, let alone sort of the the reputation or sort of background that you were coming to the table with. What did that look like for you? You know, I raised... $40 million in 2012 into Nasty Gal when I owned 100% of the company. And the valuation after that was $350 million. And when I did that, I had built this profitable company to $30 million, just literally bootstrapping it with like no credit cards, no, no debt, no prior investors. And it was kind of this freak thing. And venture capitalists showed up and they were like, holy shit, this thing yeah. is we went from one to six and a half to $28 million in revenue in two years. And I didn't have to have a plan for the future. I didn't have to have a pitch. I showed up and I'd never built a deck before when they pumped $40 million into my company. It's a kind of like scary thing to do. Mm. So this process has been really different. Um, I mean, there was no process. Um, I didn't have to ask. And now I'm asking, I'm saying girl boss is a thing. Look, there's brand equity here, but as a business, it's brand new. Um, but I have a lot to build off of. I have a Rolodex that's like miles deep. I have a community of women that's only growing. And the mission of girl boss is, is even more relevant today than it was yesterday. This is something that people need. But when I started having those conversations in early 2017, just months after my last company had face planted, I didn't really know how to talk about what we were doing. I was like, we'll have a subscription box called Girl Box. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was really just kind of like, okay, what could this be? We can do all these different things. Is it about merch and licensing? Is it about creating content, how much about creating content is it? How big can like an ad or brand business be? And, you know, it, it was always media to some extent because the book was a piece of media. The podcast is media. The Netflix series is media. And so Girl Boss already existed in the media landscape. But more than that, Girl Boss is a brand. And, you know, Jonah had to create Tasty to be a brand and to go transact in a bunch of different directions. And that's what we're starting with. And I think that's really valuable. And initially, I called the company Girl Boss Media because there was already a show called Girl Boss and I wanted to differentiate it. But the word media was really limiting and we're not media. Like we create content, but we're not selling like impressions or page views or we're not really doing media deals. We're doing partnerships um, and some pretty large partnerships and Google's our largest client. We're working with the best brands in the world, but it's to solve a different problem than, than re like wide, relatively anonymous reach. But the future looks less like a media company and more like a place that a lot of people can go and, and be safe and learn and meet one another on the internet. So talk more about the community because I think at the end of the day, 
like you said, the community actually created themselves versus a media company coming in trying and to, trying yeah. to create audience. Yeah. Like what, what is the difference? Um, we're in a world where these platforms and these, and these publishers are just so agnostic. They're creating content. They're pumping out stuff about pop culture, news, more news, more news. And then they they may kind of like slather on a layer of meaning because it's trendy. And for us, that's where we come from. And I think not about competition by what content's being created or where revenue is being generated. Yes, we'll always be competing on some level with anybody who does deals with brands of any kind. But we are competing with anyone whose user is coming to them for the same reason as as, as ours. I think about it by the motivation of the people that are coming to you because that's the way that you can create programs, whether they're sponsored or not sponsored, that create value, um, that are natural, that aren't jerry-rigging some conversation into a place where people don't want to have it. Um, And so our girls coming to us for really actionable advice, real talk, mostly about work and money in a, in a world where, you know, a bunch of white guys invented Forbes magazine and put themselves on the cover. Like what does success look like for this new generation of women who have access to all the tools, who are starting businesses, who are entrepreneurial, even if they're not entrepreneurs yet, they like a hundred percent of our audience wants to own a business at some point when we pulled them. And just like I have eBay, now we have Squarespace, Etsy, Shopify, Mm. uh, Gusto, QuickBooks, you know, FreshBooks, like every last possible thing to run nimbly uh, a small company with the professionality, I guess, of of someone who's been there before. There's a lot of categories like financial services and technology who don't have a place to go naturally to have the conversations that they're having, whether it's Chromebooks and we have women learning how to build a PL at our conference in sheets and learning how to create a presentation in Google slides or uh, a conversation about finance that we do with QuickBooks. Like these are conversations that our audience is coming to us for. We want to have anyway and is a natural conversation for our partners to be having with them. So it's like, it's a win, win, win. And when things are that aligned, it's just like, it's just, it just feels like this guy's the limit. What you just described is you're actually creating school, the B school for the mm-hmm. next generation of women. Um, and you're bringing in partners that are providing utility and services that in typical business school, you only read about. Um, and you might go out and obviously have working experience to kind of experiment with, but you're actually putting people in real life situs to kind of develop that um, practice on the spot. We didn't leave business school and think, hmm, there's a white space here and then like put a deck (laughs) together. You know, it's like it's happened very naturally and and the time is right. And, you know, brands are worried about brand safety. Users are skeptical of the platforms. People don't know whether to believe the content that they're seeing. And, you know, there was a a piece in uh, Fortune today about in a world where platforms are stumbling, when women are creating their own social uh, communities. That's in some way what our future looks like. And it feels good to be on trend, I guess. When you talk about the that future, my head like automatically goes to a group of small businesses that are hanging off of Girl Boss, 
you know, do you see do you see this future like of investing in women and actually creating products and services that are coming from the community directly? I don't know if we'll ever create things on behalf of our community. I want to be the vehicle for them to discover themselves, learn about their businesses, meet other people, and maybe have a platform of some kind. Eventually, I mean, eventually, eventually, and who knows if I'll have time while I'm running this business, certainly not right now. Like investing seems really fun. And I've done a tiny, tiny bit of it. I advise a little bit, but it takes time. If you if you really care, it takes time. So talk about like why now, right? So obviously you've, the iron's hot. You just talked about being on trend. I think it started with the book. And, and, and as far as being on trend, it's, it's convenient, but it's not why we're doing this. Like the book happened four years ago in a time where I took for granted that everybody understood what feminism meant and the world was like fine and Obama was president. And then like everything kind of <laughs> flipped and I'm embarrassed to have ever felt that way, but I don't think I was alone in that. It's it's about time to build Girl Boss because it was something I like kind of wanted to do even and could only really do the podcast while I was still in my fashion company. And four years ago, we seeded this conversation that went into every bookstore and every airport in the country and spent 20 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and sold half a million copies, not to like brag, but that's where, you know, that's where it began. And it's been marinating for four years. It's been marinating. Women have, I can't tell you how many women have come up to me and said, you're the reason I quit my job and started a business. You know, I use this metaphor at the rally when I kick the day off. Um, And I know you guys will know this scene, but in Indiana Jones, when he's going after the Holy Grail, you know, there's this chasm that he can't jump over and he has to trust that there's a bridge there and kind of like steps out basically to like what could be certain death. And there's a bridge. That's my favorite scene. It's the best. It's, it's my best. favorite scene. It's truly my favorite. It's always, you know, as a kid, like you get goosebumps. You're like, yeah, believe. Yeah, believe. It's the it's mm. the, uh, the leap of faith, literally. And that's like, if you're not doing that every day, like, are you alive? Like that's. How do that's- you do that? How do you do it every day? Because it's, it's, it is hard. It's not, it's not easy. How do you think about it? I guess the first like part of my life was pretty entertaining and it wrote a good book. And now I'm like, fuck, I'm going to have to write a follow-up to that. It better be entertaining. <laughs> um, and so whether it's like letting Forbes put me on the cover, even though like I know my company is like troubled just because it's going to be like a crazier like whiplash to go bankrupt six months later, which wasn't the plan. And I did not know was happening. I say yes to things that seem like kind of bonkers and maybe irresponsible and when you say yes to things, like you never know what could happen. I met Ted Sarandos at a CES dinner when I was running a fashion company. I have no idea why I was invited. And then years later, like sold him a story about my life. And it's because we had a relationship and you just, you don't know what's going to happen when you say yes. And I don't say yes to anything a lot anymore. It's like no business dinners, please. But um, I still say a lot, yes to a lot of shit. We had Jen Rubio in the studio uh, this week. One of the things she said that was so clear in terms of how difficult it is to be a founder, we asked her, you know, what kind of advice she has. And the first thing she said was, this is hard work. And like, yes, it's a really cool thing to want to be a founder. And yes, go for it. But like, no, this ain't no joke. Like, 
you talked about being 22, doing all the photography, you're doing all the merchandising, you're doing all this, 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 and this. Has any of that stopped? I mean, the the work kind of keeps going, right? This company is really different. I think running a company for the second time is really different from doing it the first time. And there's so many decisions I couldn't undo, the culture I couldn't undo, the leadership that I just couldn't implement because I had already set so much into motion that even if I had tried to do it tactically, even just psychically, it wasn't, it couldn't be done. And to be kind of like walk through the valley of death and now be out in this like beautiful bucolic clearing and be able to like start over and hire the right talent and, and coach them and be like a manager and a leader and lead from the front and be visible to my team and work in a shed, a shared desk instead of hiding in the back in an office and not delegating, you know, proselytizing the future of the company to the team, to another executive under me, which I always did. I was like hiding in the corner, even as like, I know I'm very like forceful with how I speak and I'm like on the cover of a book and I'm look like I know what's up. But like when it comes to like talking in front of a group of people whose like livelihoods are on the line, it's fucking scary because they take it really seriously. Mm-hmm. And I used to really like cower from that. And now it's not like I'm like running face first into it, but it's like people model the behavior that they see when people don't see like the founders invested or can articulate the the future clearly, like it's cause for alarm. Um, if you don't try to shape a culture intentionally, it will just become something, um, unintentional and it's way more work to undo that. And one low performer will bring the whole team's average down and make people think like, Oh, this is okay. Well, I guess I'll work like that. And so, I'm just so vigilant, especially running a company called Girl Boss, because we better like get it right, uh, that, we, that we do it right this time. As you were talking, I kept saying over and over in my head, do it right the second time. Isn't that better than doing it wrong the whole fucking time? Ooh, I'm the, that's my name on my next book. There you go. I think the culture that you've created and, and what you just described internally has absolutely manifested at the experiential um, event that you just hosted in Los Angeles at your third Girl Boss Rally. Is that right? Third? Third, yeah. And I, just having been at the second one and, and sort of experiencing the community and the brands that got on board and watching your speaker lineup and then seeing the fire you brought in LA. This time, it was like, like everywhere. You know, if someone's going to fly across the world, because we had 19 countries fly across the world for this event you better have a lot for them to do in a given day. And so at this event, we had uh, Google, a bazaar with Google called Google with Google small banks team with like 18 small uh, woman owned businesses where our community could shop. Uh, We had a whole room of programming and workshops all day long with, with Chromebooks. We had another room. We, the main room we call the baller room, which is like the ballroom, but like for ballers. And then uh, Hustle Hall. And Hustle, I think, is a pretty overused word, so we might need to change that. But Hustle Hall is like the the seating is like around. The, there's like a stage in the center, kind of like a talk show. And, this, and everyone sits kind of like around this like circle. And we had, you know, my divorce attorney gave a, a <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Laura Wasser, like Johnny Depp's lady and like everybody's lady, like the divorce attorney, like, um, Oh yeah. We follow celebrity rags. We know. 
Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> they call her the Disso queen. Um, for, she, she, for dissolving she, marriages. Is that what yes, it is? Yes. <laughs> that, was smart. that was good. I didn't put that together right away. I know. Um, I heard it on TMZ when they leaked my <laughs> divorce. <laughs> um, but yeah, she gave a talk on um, negotiation, and I don't know who better to give a talk on no. negotiation. That's amazing. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you. So what what do you think that you've figured out about this millennial um, female group? You, you threw out a, a bunch of very big names um, in the marketing world who are obviously partnering with you to reach your audience. And they have options, right? Like they can do events with Condé and Hearst, and they're choosing to invest in you. When you think about brands, do you think that brands, Sophia, like get you and they get the community you're building? Or are they just looking and saying, there's this really interesting thing happening over here and I just want to attach myself to it. Try it. We'll try it. I think it depends on the marketer. I mean, I think all of our partners really get it, but I think there's more money going into innovation dollars. Brands are actually spending money to market themselves as employer, like as employers who want to hire women and want to hire for diversity because everyone's sitting around like scratching their heads. And it's not just telling them, Hey, we hire for diversity. Like, it also is a matter of, you know, changing companies from the inside in some way that will attract and retain millennials because like we are entrepreneurial. And even if we never want to start our own company, the way someone of, of our generation wants to work like is often pretty different and they require a lot of autonomy and they care more about the quality of life in ways that like I'm just figuring out that I just started caring about because I used to be the person who was like, if you're not walking faster than me, then why am I paying you? You know? And like, (laughs) I think that's like a very like old person's way of, of working. And I've finally been like, Oh, it's so much easier working from home on Fridays. Wow. I really enjoy this, Um, (laughs) which we do, which our team does. Does girl boss exist without you? Is there a future of girl boss? If Sophia is not a part of it. Yeah. Yes. Um, absolutely. It's not mine. It's not about me. It's about every woman that is taking her life in her own hands, asking herself tough, tough questions, asking the world around her tough questions, is making just unpopular decisions about where she's taking her life or if she is making popular decisions, she's doing it because it just happens to correlate with what's conventional at that time. I can't build enterprise value if this is like the Sophia show. Like this is not a vanity project. Like this is something that I, it's a real business that I want to create a lot of value for a lot of women, but it's not, it's also not something that like I'm building to be reliant on me. So it's funny because I love Goop. I was an early Goop reader. I love Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, when her and Brad Pitt had like the same haircut, I was obsessed and I had black (laughs) Greek hair and I could never get that hair, but I don't connect with Gwyneth Paltrow the same way I connect with you. And it's interesting to me because you represent the every woman can period, like full fucking stop. That could be a new tagline for you. And that maybe that's the title of your book, (laughs) like full fucking stop. (laughs) But, uh, Yeah. I think this is really interesting that you've tapped into this kind of every woman. Like, while you are a personality um, and a very specific, you've got a very specific brand, like me looking on the outside, you are kind of this ubiquitous person, this icon of 
I can. Nobody makes big changes in their life that are big risks that are personal to them that aren't like their decisions. You know, maybe girl boss or I have exposed you to like thinking outside of like the world that you grew up in or what your parents want from you or, you know, that you can change gears in your career or, you know, get started later, whatever that may be. But like, it's not about me. I think everybody wants someone to give credit to or look up to or worship. And that's very much a part of our culture. Um, and it's not like I didn't put myself on the cover of a book. Like I'm aware of like (laughs) what I, what I've done. Um, but at the same time, like, mm, I take, I take the responsibility very seriously because people say things like that, but I also like, don't go home thinking like, you know, wow. I I think, wow, what we're doing is going to be massive. And I'm so inspired. And, And most of all, like it is bloodletting to have anybody on my team say, this is the best job I've ever had. And I've heard that now and, um, get what I've been through um, there's like nothing more meaningful than creating a place where people can say that. So do you think everyone actually has the capacity to see the bridge or have the faith and actually do it? Do you actually think like all of these 800 people that are coming to your conference, do you think if they actually want to do it, that they have the capacity and capability to actually have the faith and walk across? Yeah, because I think that's what life already is. People just don't realize it. Like, that's what you're doing every day. Like, that's what happens when you graduate college and you don't know what you're doing next. It's what happens when you find out that you're wrong in an argument that you're, like, so sure you're right in. Like, there's small examples of that all the time. Mm. Whether or not everybody can be, you know, I think we do have to be careful of, like, entrepreneurs being, like, the new rock stars. I think that entrepreneurship and being entrepreneurial as a popular thing is awesome and it's going to change the whole, the way the whole world works or at least our country in the future. But I, I, I think everybody has like hopefully the wits to do that. And if they don't, they probably won't try. And even if they blow it they're if they were willing to do it, they're probably the kind of person that hopefully watching somebody like me go bankrupt and then figure it out. Like, I don't know, they can stop and be like, Oh, that's just another thing. Moving on. Like, yep, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think the small thing example is actually kind of brilliant. What comes next and how should brands be integrating in that world? Yeah. I mean, I think the last year has been a lot of experimentation and a lot of custom programs um, and lower, lower margins because we're still kind of feeling around in the dark in some way. What we're not feeling around in the dark about is the conversation that we have with our audience. We have some quote unquote turnkey products, but it's not like, you know, slapping a banner and expecting, you know, the kind of reach that you can get from a glamour magazine, right? We consider ourselves a partner in innovating the brands that we work with and in shepherding a, a really important conversation to an underserved audience who are increasingly vocal, increasingly important and really hard to access. The future looks like a lot of things. So we have a podcast network. We just did our first custom podcast with Sephora called Lip Stories. And it was a first for Sephora to do a fully owned series and a first for us. 
and we've seen a lot of a lot of conversations happening around podcasts which is super exciting just audio i think is really interesting more of the rallies bigger rallies different opportunities to kind of connect with it within the rally and create more things for this audience to do and stay energized and curious on, on you know during the times that we're we're out there in the real world with her and then you know our platform so girlboss.com did just go through a relaunch it's really beautiful our ad products are totally custom and that's going to evolve a lot over time um and then this this platform that i'm building that i think eventually will um hopefully make our current publishing experience completely obsolete and that's going to be a place where she's going to ask and answer questions, find like-minded women, find work, find people to work for them, um, meet people locally, like all the things, just all the things she wants to do um, in like hopefully a very beautiful, simple environment. That's a safe place for her uh, where the content is created by us or uh, curated by us and a place that has a very kind of zero tolerance policy for for nonsense. So with that, Sophia, <laughs> we like to play a game, uh, kill by DIY. What would you kill? Um, what would you buy? And what would you do yourself? Not girl boss. Kill by DIY. Like one, one of each of those. Yeah. Um, I'd kill <laughs> poverty. I'd buy a private plane and I DIY my own vegetable garden. Oh, those are hard. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been like staring at like, I've been like, let's go to Home Depot this weekend. We're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to find you to pitch you their ideas to help you further shape the Girl Boss community. Tell you how partner, much they love you. <laughs> where can they find you? If you have a question for Girl Boss, it's info at girlboss.com. Uh, if you want to reach me directly for business opportunities, it's s at girlboss.com. And if you want to partner with us, it's Allison with one L at girlboss.com. Sophia, thank you. Thank this you, awesome. guys. You are the ultimate girl boss, and we can't wait to see you in keep, the same state soon. And keep There's doing lots it. to celebrate. Okay. Well, thank you for calling in. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. I'm all revved up like Indiana Jones now. Uh, you're running over the bridge. I'm running over the bridge. Was that inspiring? Yeah, I just, every time I talk to her, I'm just always so impressed. And I always love hearing the restart story because it's it's a constant reminder that despite the odds, despite public perception, despite, you know, the challenges that exist in just building a business, let alone being a woman who filed for Chapter 11, as a 22-year-old founder and kept going. And, and multi-millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. And and still found a way to say, fuck it. Like, there's a bigger purpose. There's a community that needs this. And like, I'm going to put my blinders on and go for it. That I've, focus is just, it's so impressive. One of the things that she didn't say explicitly, but it was very clear, is that she capitalized on every asset she had. Every asset she had. That... That is something that brands aren't even doing. That's something individuals aren't doing. What do you have coming your way that you're not capitalizing or on? Or what do you have that the community needs and there's a white space for? And go fill it. Go fill you it. You don't always need to create it. 
Sometimes you just need to fill it. Or you need to let them create it, but let them. (laughs) On that note, thank you to all of our friends and family at Panoply, Matt Turk, Andy Bowers, Laura Morris. Adlandia, hustle it. We'll be back in two weeks. Full disclosure, our opinions are our own.